Good morning and welcome to this morning service. My name's Tom, I'm part of the ministry team here at Binnerickie Baptist Church and I looked out my window this morning and I thought, you know what, the sun's out, the sky is blue, I'm going to get outside and I'm going to preach in the open air, which is lovely. It's great to have you joining with us and um, whether you're sitting at home in your four walls or whether you're sitting in your own garden, um, it's good to share this with you this morning. So before we go any further, I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to read the passage that we're going to be hearing about later on in the service. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. And Lord, thank you that we can come out into our gardens or parks or the countryside that surrounds our town here in Billericay. Wherever we are in the world, Lord, there'll be somewhere we can go where we can see your creation and the beauty of it. And Father, we give thanks for the number of people that have been reappreciating that in the past few weeks when suddenly they found their, that the liberties that they've taken for granted for all their lives have been taken away. And so, Lord, we, we give thanks for the outdoors. We give thanks for the, the green trees and the, the flowers that are in bloom. Father, we give thanks for all the signs of nature renewing. And we give thanks, Lord, that your blessing, your love is renewed every morning for us. We give thanks, Lord, that you don't hold us to account for what we've done in the past, but instead you're a God who loves to forgive us, to give us a clean start, to purify us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for that, and we pray, Lord, that this morning as we're listening, wherever we are, whoever we are, whatever we are, you will bless us, be with us through your Spirit, be in us, be around us, and Father, speak to us through your Word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you've got a Bible with you, I'd like you to turn to uh, Mark's Gospel, to chapter 7, starting at 24, chapter, uh, verse 24. Now this is a passage which some people find quite, quite controversial, some people find quite confusing. But I find it absolutely fascinating because it teaches us so much about Jesus, about his mission, about his ministry, and about his character too. So I'm going to read this um, this passage from Mark's Gospel. There is a parallel account of this story, which is slightly different, in Matthew's Gospel, um, starting at chapter 15, verse 21 through to 28. So if you'd like to have a look at that later on after the service, then please do, because they both um, give us an insight into what happened to Jesus at this time. So just to give you a little bit of background, Jesus had come off a long period of ministry. He'd been teaching, he'd been preaching, he'd been healing, he'd been performing miracles, and he'd been dealing with the challenges that came from so many different people questioning where his authority and his power came from, accusing him of being a blasphemer and a liar. Now that takes it out of someone. To go through a long period like that, constantly facing battle after battle, it wears you down. And Jesus, although he was fully God, he was the son of God and had all the, the power and the authority that God gave him. He was also fully man. And so Jesus was, just like you and me, subject to tiredness. Every now and then, he needed a break. This passage sees him trying to take a break. So from Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 24, we read these words. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence a secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. 
she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let all the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. When I was young, primary age, I was brought up in a house with a nice back garden. My parents were very keen gardeners and kept it looking lovely. At the back of the garden was a vegetable patch. And on the vegetable patch, one of my main memories is the rhubarb. They grew a lot of rhubarb. There was rhubarb everywhere. Rhubarb has massive leaves, and so even just a little bit of rhubarb covers a wide surface area. We had a lot of rhubarb, and so to a six, seven, eight-year-old child going up to the back of our garden was a bit like entering the set of the Day of the Triffids. The stuff was everywhere. Now, if you grow a lot of rhubarb, logically you end up eating a lot of rhubarb. And we would often have stewed rhubarb as a dessert. Now, I like rhubarb. I've grown to like it as an adult, and um, I'm always, I always enjoy it. As a child, I kind of reached the point of saturation at a pretty young age. And so I remember one time in particular when we, we were having dinner, and I, typically being the youngest, was quite slow in eating. And mum and dad finished their food and, and had their dessert, and my brother finished his main course, finished his dessert, and eventually they all drifted away, and I was left on my own at the dining table. Well, I say alone, our dog was there. Our dog was called Holly, because we got her at Christmas, and she was a Welsh Border Collie. Well, she was a Border Collie anyway. I don't know if she was Welsh. She didn't bark with an accent or anything. But um, apparently she was a Welsh Border Collie. And she used to sit under the table at mealtimes. We were strictly forbidden to give her any, any tidbits, any food, anything. On this one occasion, though, <clears throat> I finished my main course and I looked at this bowl of stewed rhubarb and custard and I just couldn't stomach it. Now, Holly and I had this long-standing agreement that anything I couldn't eat when the coast was clear, she would get. And so I checked the coast was clear. Mum and Dad were... Mum was up the garden, Dad was in his greenhouse, my brother had gone out to play with his friends. No one was about, so I snuck into the kitchen with my bowl of rhubarb and custard did a double check, tips it into the dog's bowl. The dog came wandering over all expectantly and started tucking in. I went outside, I got a ball and I started kicking it around on the patch of grass next to our house. I didn't give it a second thought. This was something that occurred fairly regularly, but on this one occasion I made a, a terrible mistake. I was unaware of the mistake until I suddenly heard my mother's voice, Thomas, get here now! Now, I'm no Inspector Morse, but I could tell by her tone that this wasn't an invite to negotiate a pocket money rise. I got into the kitchen, still completely oblivious as to what the cause of the summons might be. And then Mum asked me the question that gave me a bit of an inkling. She said, did you eat your rhubarb? 
Now I had two choices. I could lie and tell the truth. I lied. Yeah, I said, of course I did. Then how do you explain this, she said, and held up the dog's bowl. It was at that point I discovered an important lesson in life. Dogs eat custard, they enjoy it. They lick every last morsel of custard that's put in front of them. Not so keen on rhubarb. In fact, they don't touch rhubarb. If you put rhubarb in a dog's bowl, it's still there half an hour later when your mother finds it. I had to face the music and for a long time relations between myself and Holly remained frosty. Now you're probably sitting there thinking, what on earth is he talking about? What has this story got to do with the passage that he's just read? But bear with me, we're going to come back to that story later on. Meanwhile, let's go back to the passage and remind ourselves what's just happened. You see, Jesus, having had this long, tiring passage of ministry, he, he needs a holiday. Now Mark's account of this, this holiday, this trip away, this, this attempt to try and get away from everything and everyone who recognised him and knew him, makes it sound as if Jesus went on his own. But actually from Matthew's account, we know that Jesus' disciples went with him. So there were 13 of them in total that went up to the coastal port of Tyre. Tyre, in, um, it's about 30 or 40 miles north of Jerusalem. And it's kind of like a biblical lad's holiday, I suppose. Jesus gets the boys together, says, right, I'm knackered, don't know about you, let's go and take a bit of a break by the sea. I know a nice little cottage we can go and stay in, no one will disturb us, it'd be lovely. And so off they go, and they travel, we don't know how long it takes them to get there, we don't know what route they took, but they, they travel up to this town. As soon as they get there, Jesus finds this boarding house. We don't know, again, much about it, but he enters it, and we are told that he did not want to be spotted. He didn't want to be disturbed. He didn't want anybody recognising him. He wanted to keep his presence there a secret. Now, this was long before the days of Royal Mail or the internet or anything like that, mobile phones, and so news didn't travel as fast. But the news of Jesus had travelled. People knew about Jesus. They didn't just know about him, they knew who he was. This lady who suddenly um, recognises him, somehow she recognises Jesus, she sees him and she comes to him because she's desperate, because her daughter is ill. You can just imagine it, can't you? Jesus and his disciples just get to their lodgings. They've just put their bags down, they're just setting up shop. They're just talking about going to go to the beach, who's going to be the first one in the water? And suddenly there's a knock at the door. And they will look at each other. They count each other. Hang on, we're all here. Who's that? And then they open it. This woman walks in, falls at Jesus' feet. You can imagine the rest of the disciples thinking, oh, not again. We've just come away for a break from all this. Oh, for goodness sake, JC. Oh, get rid of her, will you? Jesus himself isn't particularly happy. He's not very impressed about this. You see, the response of Jesus to, to this lady isn't one of compassion and love. He doesn't say, of course, take me to your child. Instead, he's actually quite rude. He's actually quite insulting in this. He says, first, let the children eat all they want, for it's not right to take the children's bread 
and toss it to their dogs. He's calling this lady and her child, her demon-possessed sick child, a dog. This isn't the sort of language, the sort of behaviour that we have come to expect from Jesus. When we talk about the Son of God coming to seek and save the lost, well, here he's not seeking and he's not that keen on saving either, on first account. You see, to really understand something of this, we need to remind ourselves of what else Jesus says about dogs. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, he says, Do not give holy things to dogs, for they will just turn to attack you. And here, he's comparing this lady and her sick child to a dog. Now, if you go back to the Greek word that was used in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is talking about a wild animal a ferocious dog, a dog that will simply attack you because it knows no different, no better. The Greek word that he uses in this story is different. You see, we've got one word for dog. Dog. That's it. The Greeks had more than one. And so it's important to know that the word that he uses here is describing a household pet. It's describing the dog fairly affectionately. This is the creature that we, that we know and love today. A creature who is, who is loyal. A creature who brings us comfort. A creature who, who we play with. Now our idea of a household pet is somewhat different to the idea of a household pet in, in biblical times. But even so, it's important to know that the two Greek words Jesus, is, Jesus uses for dogs here, they're very different. So actually she's not being that insulting to this lady. But even so, there seems to be a hierarchy. What do we learn from this? What is Jesus saying through this exchange? Let's read it again. Jesus says to the lady when she's just begged him, she's begged him on her knees to go and heal, to go and drive the demon out of her daughter. And Jesus says, first, let the children eat all they want. So who are the children? What's Jesus saying here? It barely seems to make sense. Until we go back to the Old Testament and we remind ourselves of the time after time after time that the Jews, God's people, were promised a Messiah. The children of God were promised a Messiah. You see, Jesus' first part of his mission Jesus' first priority was that he was sent to the Jews. He was sent to the children of God. He wouldn't have been fulfilling a prophecy if he hadn't done that. He was there to teach the children of God, to, to show them that he was the Messiah, to tell them that he was the, the Alpha and the Omega, the Son of God, the ever-present. That was the first part. And that part of his mission and ministry was still ongoing at this point. And so when Jesus says to this lady, let the children eat all they want, what he's saying is, before I can deal with you, before you can come to me, I need to make sure that I look after the Jews that I've left behind. 
I need to make, make sure that I go back to Jerusalem and keep on ministering to them, teaching them, revealing who I am, showing the power and authority which has been given to me and could only have been given to me by God. That's the first part of Jesus' mission. But the lady doesn't rise to the bait. She doesn't take the insult. Or maybe she sees the challenge that Jesus is laying down and reacts appropriately. She says, yes, Lord. She says, I, I, I get that. I understand. You're not my God. You don't represent the God of my people. You're not from round here. We're not of the same creed or culture. We're like dogs to you. But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She's saying, Jesus, I'm desperate. I know you've got to feed the children of Israel. I know that's what you want to do. That's what you're called to do. That's the first thing that you need to do. But, but yeah, I accept. I'm like a dog to you. I'm like a, a household pet, the mutt in the corner. But even the mutt in the corner gets crumbs from the table. So please, I'm desperate here. My daughter is demon-possessed. She's, she's got no hope. So if there's anything you can do, please throw me a crumb. You see, at this point, Jesus knew he had been sent, first and foremost, as a sign to the children of God. He knew that he was going to have to spend time continuing to teach them, to preach to them, to, to walk amongst them, to reveal his power and his authority, to show them that he was who he said he was. But he also knew that ultimately they would reject him. He also knew that ultimately they would try him, that they would find him guilty of a, of, of a crime that didn't exist and they would put him on the cross and nail him there and leave him to die and put him in the tomb. And he knew that after that he would rise again as a sign to the world that death couldn't hold him, that death wasn't a threat to the Son of God. He knew that after that he would, he would walk out into the world and tell his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. This is not just for the Jewish people anymore. This is not just for the children of God. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptising in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Because God is for all people. He's not just for the, the Old Testament race that we read so much about. Instead, the, the borders have been expanded there is no restrictions, there is no limitation, there is no lockdown on the breadth of God's love. Jesus knew that it was only a short time until that would happen. And so when this lady acknowledges that she's got no right at all to ask him for a crumb, he says, because of what you've said, because of what you understood, because of the faith you've shown in coming to me, first of all, because of the love for your child, go home. The demon's been driven out. Your daughter has been healed. One of the most amazing things about this story is the fact that a miracle is performed and we, we gloss over it. It's not even the, the, main, the main piece of the story. Jesus was sent for all of us, but there was an order to his mission. And this lady, you could say, disrupted the order slightly. She shows huge courage 
First of all, she was a lady on her own. She was a woman on her own. She knocks on the door of a house full of men. She disturbs them. She should never have done that in that culture. Is she brave? Is she courageous? Yes and no. Yeah, of course she is. But no, because she's driven by desperation. She's driven by an absolute desperation, the desperation of a parent who sees their child suffering and desperately wants to put an end to that suffering, who desperately wants to be able to do something to heal her child. There is no fear like the fear of a parent who sees a child suffering. There is no desperation that even comes close to the desperation felt in the heart of a parent who sees a child slipping away. So she shows massive faith by going to Jesus. She would have tried all the pagan gods of her own people. She would have gone to all the different temples and all the different, different holy men, the different miracle men, the different faith healers, the different people who promised the world and could deliver very little. And so finally she hears this group of men have come up from Israel. There's 13 of them. And she thinks, I've heard of a group of 13 men who travel around together. I've heard of the miracles and the healings. I've heard of the, the, the exorcisms. I wonder if it's them. She knocks on the door, she sees Jesus, she throws herself at his feet and they have this exchange. This lady takes a massive risk. But it pays off. Because Jesus looks at her. He's struck by her faith. She's one of the first Gentiles to, to recognise Jesus' power. Maybe he sees an opportunity. An opportunity to show that, that this, this Messiah wasn't sent just for the Jews, but actually the day will come when, when access to God is through the Messiah is open to all people. Just like it is today. Maybe he's struck by her humility. He accept, she accepts her place, but she's grateful for the crumbs off the table. She doesn't look around and say, hang on a second, I should have a seat at the table. I've knocked on the door, I've come to you, I've made myself vulnerable, I've shown I believe in you, what more do you want? I should have a seat at that table, there should be a 14th person there. But she doesn't. She says, yeah, I'm a dog under the table but even a dog under the table gets the crumbs she doesn't get angry with Jesus she doesn't take offence she doesn't look around and see what see what others are given she doesn't look at the, the, the healing she doesn't insist that Jesus comes to her home and performs a healing there she has faith when Jesus says go home your daughter is healed she has the faith that he's done it she accepts her position under Jesus she accepts his authority she doesn't get self-righteous or indignant. She accepts Jesus and Jesus accepts her. That's an important lesson. Because you see, for all of us today, if we accept Jesus, no matter who we are, no matter where we're from, no matter what we've done in life, no matter what doubts might still be knocking around inside us, no matter what struggles and, and habits that are difficult to give up, no matter what, no matter what, if we accept Jesus, Jesus accepts us. Jesus never turns us away. He never gives up on us. He never says, 
I know your past, I don't think you're suitable to join my kingdom. He says, I know your past, come on in, you need me just as much as all the rest of them. You see, in church, I heard a story once who, from a minister who said they had someone walk into their church and they said, I'm a sinner, you don't want me here. And the minister said, we're all sinners, we're all welcome here. Every one of us is a sinner. Every one of us can come to know Jesus. If we accept Jesus into our lives, then Jesus accepts us into his kingdom. And this, this story reminds us, it reminds us that if before Jesus we are humble, if before Jesus we are honest, if before Jesus we, we can read the scriptures and accept our place in the world, Jesus accepts us. You see, going back to the story I started with, I left it at the point where I was standing before my mother receiving her wrath for not having eaten my rhubarb. And I was giving very dark looks to our dog, our border collie, Holly, who was sitting in the corner. I knew she'd let me down, and I think deep down she knew it too. Now I'm pleased to report that time's a great healer. And eventually Holly and I got back on speaking terms and I was happy that many more desserts, sandwiches, cakes, tidbits here and there were fed to her when no one was looking. The usual standard operating procedure was restored. And we got on well. We were very close, that, that dog and myself, until eventually she died of a heart attack prematurely. Didn't see that coming. Sad, really, but just can't tell can you but you see when she died she was mourned it was like losing a member of the family she'd been with us for 12 years I'd grown up alongside her she was really loved and we mourned the loss of that dog now don't get me wrong although as I tell the story I humanize her But she was a dog. She was not a part of the family, clearly. The dog under the table in our house, who was grateful for the crumbs, was loved to such an extent that we felt her loss sorely when she died. We mourned for her because we'd lost a member of our family because through the the loyalty and the fun, through the mannerisms, the characteristics, through the devotion she showed to us, she became part of our family. Anyone who's ever owned a dog will know exactly what I'm talking about. Anyone that's ever owned a cat, probably not. If we accept our place under Jesus, not comparing ourselves with other people, not looking around and wanting what others have got, questioning Jesus, why have they got that when I deserve it more? If we just humbly say, Jesus, I know I don't deserve you, that any crumb from your table I am grateful for. And do you know what he does? He says, I'll give you more than crumbs. I'll give you a crown of righteousness. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And when your time comes to leave this, this earth, your earthly life is over, 
I will welcome you with open arms into the kingdom of heaven. And I will say those words, welcome home, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for your word and I want to thank you for this story in particular and for all it teaches us about the, the mission and the ministry of Jesus. Father, I want to thank you that it reminds us that we don't deserve the place that we have in your kingdom. But by your grace and your love and your mercy, you give it to us. And so, Father, I want to thank you this morning for all that you've done for us, for all that you've given to us. I want to thank you for how much you love each and every one of us. And, Father, if there's anyone tuning in today who's hearing this message for the first time, Father, I, I pray that you will start working in their heart. I pray, Lord, that they'll be inspired by something of what they've heard. And I pray, Lord, that maybe personally, maybe quietly, maybe just in the safety of their own four walls, They will pray to you. They will ask you for forgiveness of sin and for acceptance into your family. Father, thank you that we can all call ourselves children of God. And we thank you that you don't treat any one of us like a dog under the table. Instead, you give us all a seat at your table. Lord, thank you for this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope you've enjoyed that this morning. I certainly have enjoyed being outside, hearing the bird song and seeing the, the grass and the trees. And I really hope that next week, whatever goes on between now and then, you will join us again to hear more from God's word and to, to share that together. So stay safe and enjoy the garden. See you next week.